One of the, uh, the byproducts of my little scheduled midlife crisis that I'm going through right now, that we've talked about before, is I'm, I'm asking questions about who I am. Who am I really? And it turns out, uh, so far, what I'm discovering is that who I am is just an awful lot like who I've been <laughs> for the last 42 years. Uh, so so no, no real big surprises there. But I wonder if, if there's anyone in the room here this morning who, is, uh, who wants to know who they, who they really are. Anyone who's asking those questions wants to know what you're really made of. Anybody who's asking the question, what do I really believe, right? And maybe you've been provided answers to those questions. Maybe someone has told you, you ought to be this, you ought to believe these things, and, uh, and yet you desire a real genuine experience on your own. You desire to know for yourself who you are, what you believe, what you're made of. And I would say, if that's you this morning, this story that we're going to read uh, together in Daniel 3 will give us a, a snapshot of three men in history who knew who they were, what they were made of, and what they believed. And they knew these things with their whole heart. And so it's good for us to have this opportunity to sit before their example this morning. So let's take a look, starting off at Daniel 3, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. And I always felt like once you go over five cubits wide, it's just a little gaudy at that point, you know. But that's where, where he's at, this big, huge statue, statue. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, perfects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, perfects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar stood before it. And, and they, excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before him. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language. Now, doesn't that sound like, like uh, just an all-inclusive community, right? The herald gets in front of all these people, all the small little uh, vassal nations that are a part of the Babylonian empire, and he says, all of you in all of your languages, I have something to tell you something that includes you, something that you get to be a part of, that we all together, like all we need is love, right? And we all come together in this unified effort, all the languages, all the nations, all the peoples. And the, the, uh, the, the herald goes on to say, nations and peoples of every language this is what you are commanded to do. This is an all-inclusive community. Uh, all the material, uh, uh, all the, the building blocks, the materials uh, of making up a unified culture are here. Uh, in a minute, we're going to discover the, the great variety of music that is about to burst into the silence 
that is going to give these people direction in what they are to worship. Uh, it, is, it is all the elements there of this, just, uh, what they would have assumed would have been just this really great, all-inclusive, unified community. This is what you are commanded to do, verse 5. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And that's kind of where the party died, right? It, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this gathering of all these people from all over this world, this unifying effort, took on a kind of an ominous tone to it. You will be unified. You will believe the same thing as I do. You will behave the same way as I do. You will value the same thing as I do. Or you will be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to the King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who, um, whom have, whom you, have, you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are their names. And these men who pay no attention to you, your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Now what's interesting to me is these three men, these Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were peers with the very people who were bringing this complaint to the king. It turns out whatever camaraderie they had in their co-working relationship of helping the, the, uh, the king rule his empire, whatever camaraderie was there was thrown out the window. My guess is there was some, uh, uh, some jealousy, some racism, some resentment, uh, all, these, all these elements that, that kind of culminated and showed up in the, the, an intolerance towards these three men for refusing to worship this false god. Not only that, but King Nebuchadnezzar is about to be uh, enraged. And he will be enraged because in spite of his investment in these men, in spite of the great benefit of their wisdom that he has received in the past, they won't do what he tells them to do. And so what's interesting to me is this community, this unified community, uh, whatever community that comes from that is frail, right? And so if you're someone this morning who says, I am compromising my own character, I am choosing to uh, to forsake some of the parts of myself that are genuine, sacred, holy, 
God-given. I am, I am choosing to repress those in order to fit into the box so that I might be a part of a community. If that's you this morning, you need to know that that kind of compromise creates a very frail community, right? That, that there, will only, there, will, there will come a day eventually where you will have to stand for your own convictions. And on that day, if the community is based on your conformity, it will crack. And uh, uh, what we see happening all over the world even now is not only will it crap, but it <laughs> crack, it will crack with venom, right? You will be out. And all that community that you've enjoyed will be undone. Uh, where am I? Verse 13, thank you. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true? And I, was, I, re- I just couldn't help this week as I was reading this, uh, reading it like with slurred speech, you know. Nebuchadnezzar is enraged. I don't get enraged very often, uh, but when I am enraged, it's slurred speech. And, uh, and nothing gets me enraged more than when someone will not do what I tell them or when they refuse to worship me. So I can really appreciate what Nebuchadnezzar is going through here. He says, he says, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And what we're watching happen here uh, is persecution. These boys are being persecuted, and the nature of persecution is this. The persecution continues to ramp up until the ones being persecuted cave. So if only a small piece of persecution is necessary in order for you to compromise and cram yourself into the box that is desired for you, if that's all that's necessary, then that's all that will be applied. But if you resist, because you are a person of conviction, the persecution will only ramp up. And, uh, and that's what we're watching happen here. Um, and what happens next, the response of these three men is, uh, in my opinion, awe-inspiring. I want to talk a little bit first about conviction. Having conviction, being a person of conviction. Your convictions define you. Define who you are, what you're made of, what you believe, where you stand. A conviction is a perseverance that has counted the cost. Conviction is a clearly articulated Commitment to a particular value, something that you say, this is ultimate value to me. I will not treat it as if it is not. 
Conviction is a small, small target that you refuse to miss. It's conviction. Um, it's been quite a while since, uh, since I had made this list, but I just recently brought it out, and my wife and I have been talking about this. Um, I have on my phone right now a little memo thing, a notepad that, that has as its title, the Neo Bauer Socks. Because I realized that, uh, and especially, and maybe some of you can relate to this, I, I grew up in a, with a great family back home in Michigan. They were a certain way, right? Uh, and, and that's not even a criticism. I'm just saying, like all families, they, we, had all, we had our own ways. And then I married a Homer girl and I moved 4,000 miles away, right? It's an opportunity for me to somewhat reinvent what it will look like to be bower socks uh, in Homer, Alaska. And so I began to just thinking about that. What is, what is, a, what is an Alaskan bower socks? So that I might, I just felt like it would be helpful for us as a family to define ourselves. A list of convictions, things that, uh, that make us bower socks. And I won't read you the whole list, but I'll just give you a, a sampling of what it means to be bower socks. And, and maybe you'll read this and say, yeah, that's right on. Or maybe you'll read this and say, uh, you must be talking about other bower socks. But, but here's a couple things. The, the, the neo bower socks, uh, one of our things is we don't do divisiveness. No tolerance for divisiveness. We do not, we do not gather information in order to, and, and support in order to pit it against other people. We're not doing that. I hate that, actually. You know, and so we as a family, we're not doing that. Uh, also, manipulation. We are not into manipulation. Uh, the Neo Bauer Soxes, as a value, as a conviction, uh, we, we guard against that. And when we see it in our children, uh, we get on it right now. And, and actually, pretty, pretty uh, whatever's going on, that becomes the main issue because the Neo Bauer Sox does not do manipulation nor do we like to be manipulated. Got it? Okay. Neil Bowersocks, we are raising our children to become independent adults so long as they never move away and they let me choose their spouses. Other than that, we are raising them to be independent adults. Uh, also, uh, we, are, uh, we, are, we are making decisions to be Genuine people. What you see is what you get. We are, we value genuineness and we support genuineness of other people as well. Just a handful of things, well-defined things. That's what it means to be a bower socks. You know, a life of conviction is made up of do's and don'ts. A life of conviction is made up of things that you will stand against, but also things that you will stand for. Do you know those things? The things you will stand against and also the things you will stand for. Hopefully those are, are clear in your mind because it's your convictions that will define you. I would say this too, that I've noticed that when convictions grow too numerous, they become misguided. You know, God himself 
gave us a list of convictions and he, it was a list of 10 items and that was enough for him, right? He said 10 commandments, 10 convictions, that ought to do it. If it gets much bigger than 10, it becomes too distracting, misguiding. And Jesus came, he said, actually, I'm gonna boil that down to one, one conviction with a sub point, right? Love the Lord your God and, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's just, it ought to be, it ought to be your, your list of convictions ought to be small. I'm not talking about somebody who feels very strongly about lots of stuff. Have you ever had lunch with that guy at the restaurant and he feels very strongly about the way the service should have been? You know? You know that guy? And it's like, it's embarrassing. Relax. Go easy on the waitress, right? Uh, somebody who has lots of strong opinions about politics and money and this town and that person and it's just overwhelming. And I would just say that uh, a, a man of, that's not a man of conviction, that's a grouch. That's a guy who needs a nap or to get a, get, have something to eat or whatever, relax. I'm talking about a man of conviction who has a handful of things. He says, I stand for these things and I stand against those things. I do these things and I don't do those things, right? He's a man of conviction, man or woman. And I would say as followers of Jesus, our convictions ought to reflect the gospel message. And so what I'm saying to you, and let me be, let me be crystal clear here, our convictions ought to reflect the gospel message, which means that we ought to have uh, for each other a great deal of freedom, liberty for you and I to have a great variety of convictions, right? Uh, we, are, we ought to be, as people of faith, an eclectic group. And the thing that unites us is our convictions so centered on the gospel message, right? And so let's see, with these men of conviction, how they responded. Such a great response. I just imagine, like, all of these people just kind of all worked up, right? When you hear the music... You better move to the music the way I told you to. Obviously, King Nebuchadnezzar is already out of control. His speech is slurred. He's in a rage. The only people who are calm are the people with conviction. You ready for this? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> um, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Don't you love that? Don't you love seeing somebody who has the strength of character where they have conviction? Um, excuse me, you don't get to push me any further. Got it? I don't need to defend myself before you about this matter. It's already firmly established. Doesn't that sound like freedom? Liberty? I think so too. He goes on, he says, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And check this out, it just gets better. And will deliver us from your majesty's hand, but even if he does not, we want you to know, sir, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have made up. You have nothing on me 
because I am a man of conviction and my convictions are centered on the truth of God's character and his value. So there. And I just want to pull a couple things out of that. We have no need to defend ourselves. This is not an invitation to be a jerk for Jesus. And that guy's out there, right? The guy who, who, uh, who is, uh, is a believer and is so persuaded by the gospel message in his own life that no one likes him, right? He's obnoxious. He's rude. He's forceful. He does not understand grace. He's a jerk for Jesus. And that's not what I'm talking about here. What I am talking about is a man who is, uh, I, would say, I would say it like this, being unapologetic about your convictions is not the same as being unaccountable. These men say, this is our conviction, your majesty. And yet we are willing to accept whatever consequences come from that. Uh, in fact, we recognize that the consequences that come from that are actually uh, in a, in a weird way, we will accept that as from the hand of God. And so we stand ready to uh, absorb the consequences of our convictions. Uh, it may sound like I'm being a jerk. I'm not being a jerk. I'm just a man of conviction. And I know what's valuable to me. These men were unwilling to obligate God you know, you read this story, and, and many of you know the story, and you know how the story ends. These men are miraculously rescued. And what I would say to you is that, 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 uh, that the idea that if you will stand up for your convictions, you will be rescued miraculously, that cannot be the takeaway of this message. In fact, the, the, the majority of human history has men and women who have stood for their convictions and not been rescued, right? In fact, the reason this story made the book is because it is a bit of an anomaly, right? You wouldn't write about the same old stuff that went on. These guys were miraculously rescued. But you need to understand that God may allow you to endure some persecution. In fact, it is training for you some struggle so that your character is refined. Not everybody gets rescued. The reality of God and his character and his value for these men is apparently enough for them to build their life on. God's value has become the rock that they are building their life upon. They are unwilling to obligate God to perform according to their wishes. And third, we are defined by our convictions. These men say, I want you to know who we are. I know who you are, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now let me tell you who, who I am. I'm the guy who will never bow to your gods. I'm the guy who only bows to one God, the true God. That's who I am. So you're going to have to decide what you're going to do with me now that you know who I am. I just read this story. I'm so impressed with these guys. Where, where do those convictions come from? 
Where does, where does the strength of character, the power to stand up to the greatest, most powerful man on the earth at that time and tell him who you are <laughs> and what you will and what you will not do, where does that come from, that boldness, that strength? And for these men, the answer is centered. The answer for where that kind of conviction and power comes from, the answer is centered on an act of worship. They said, we won't worship there, that way, that God. We only worship here. And as we worship here, as we acknowledge God's great value in all ways possible, we understand the things that we have conviction about. Our, our, our convictions are defined by agreement with God's value and his valuing. Our, our convictions are defined by agreeing with the God that we value most, about the things that he values most, about the ways that he values most. And as we agree with him, as we find ourselves in his presence with bended knee, in submission to him, as ultimately valuable, our convictions become clearer to us. Many of you in this room, no doubt, are pro-life. You value the life of the unborn. You value that because the scriptures have taught you that God himself is aware of and values a life even before uh, it has left the womb. You are pro-life. You value life. How about the obnoxious life? Do you value that life? Because the conviction of God is pro-life. What about the annoying life? What about the offensive life? What about the addict? What about the guy who smells? Uh, what about the guy who's politically distant from you? Are you pro-life? Right? Some of you, many of you, no doubt, in a good, conservative, hardworking, all-American crowd like this one, uh, with the Protestant work ethic, and, and this church, this church is full of that, right? Many of you are against debt. Uh, great. You say, I never carry a balance on my credit card. Wonderful. You're just loving those Alaska Airline miles for free. Beautiful. Go for it. You're against debt. You, you never carry a balance on your credit card. But do you tell and retell the story of someone whose offense you've already supposedly forgiven? Or are you against debt? Are you against owing? What is your conviction? It will, it will be refined as you find yourself in submission before the valuable God of the universe. A life of conviction is made of do's and don'ts. Stand against as well as stand for's. 
And our Christian convictions cannot be built on our culture's acceptance of those convictions. It cannot be built on the leader's visibility. You know, often, even my daughter was asking, when, uh, recently I read this story to her, and uh, as we're doing the tuck-in thing, and uh, that's the other thing. Uh, I get to choose their spouse, they can never leave, and I get to tuck them in until I die. Um, uh, she was, she was asking, so where's Daniel in all this? You know, he doesn't show up in the story. And the answer is, I, I, I don't know. He's on hiatus. He's in another town. I don't know where he is in this story. But what's interesting to me is that even though Daniel is the big star of this book, these men had their own convictions that they were able to stand up for on their own. So even when the leader, the big star, was not visible to them, they knew who they were. They knew what they would and wouldn't stand for. We cannot build our convictions on God's goodwill granting. In other words, if God has been a disappointment to you, I would say um, that's legitimate. He is, he is disappointing sometimes in our human experience. He does not behave the way we expected him to, right? And even in the midst of that, uh, he is ultimately valuable. He is worthy of our worship, and he defines us. Instead of those things, our Christian convictions are built on God's worthiness. Our convictions are defined by what we worship, and they are defined while we worship while we find ways to submit ourselves to him as supremely valuable. I'd like to invite the worship team up. You might find that you are in, you know, we're talking about, a, uh, this story happens in a context of a government that is persecuting these people. But persecution, this kind of resistance happens, and you know this already, it happens in employment environments, it happens in friendships. It happens in family environments. You may, yourself, as a person of conviction, you may feel alone in your conviction, alone in your worship of God. You may even feel opposed in your worship of God. You may even be wondering in your worship of God. In other words, uh, you, you may be, as you worship the Lord, you may be asking very serious questions about who he is and how the gospel message works. And I would say that these challenges, being alone in your worship, being uh, opposed in your worship, having questions in your worship, these fires... For the one who refuses to bend a knee and worship the one true God, these fires uh, will destroy. But for the one who submits themselves to God, these fires, these challenges to our conviction, to our worship, these fires refine. It is a baptism by fire. The rest of the story goes like this. Nebuchadnezzar said, oh, I'm so mad at you. I'm enraged. Fire up the furnace seven times more. Get that thing hot. Bind these three men and throw them in it. 
And the furnace was so hot that even the soldiers leading them to it uh, dropped dead because of the intensity of the heat. And these three men fall into the furnace, paying the ultimate price because of their convictions, which are made clear to them as worshipers of a valuable God. And sitting there some distance, Nebuchadnezzar becomes shocked by what he sees, looking in the, the door of the furnace. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed. And the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. Want to know who you are? Want to know what you're made of? I can at least tell you this much. You are not alone. There's one who joins you in your own struggles, wherever they are, in your own struggle to develop convictions, in your own struggle to defend convictions. There's one who joins you. He not only looks like the Son of God, but he is the Son of God. In fact, he's made you this promise. He says, I promise you that in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. Let's stand. Amen. Um, you know, uh, most of us are at church just about every Sunday of the year, and we hear a lot of sermons. And my prayer every week uh, for myself as I'm uh, listening to a sermon is, I'm not going to remember all the details, but God is moving on my heart every week that I'm here. And so my prayer is, God, through your spirit, would you move in my heart in a way that would change the way that I live, that I would live more in line with you, that I would say yes to more of the things that you are offering, that I would live in grace right? It's that prayer. So that's my prayer for you this morning. As Skip was sharing, if, if you that resonated with you, you felt the Spirit moving on your heart, I want to encourage you, now is the time to say yes and to move forward with the thing that God wants to do in you and through you. Um, there's prayer ministry that'll be around for a little bit after the service. If you want to get prayer, you can do that. If you have someone you want to share a word with, you can do that. Or someone next to you that's a buddy that you want to say, here's what happened in the sermon. You can do that too. Uh, the youth retreat signups are at the info table right over there. So if you want to grab those uh, for your kids or kids, if you want to grab those uh, yourself, you're welcome to. It's a wonderful day. Enjoy your day. We don't officially end until 1230. So if you want to hang around, say hi to a few people and help tear down, that would be awesome. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.